Welcome, everybody, to Fatal Error. I am Krista Zombach. And I'm Sarush Kamlu. And this week, we're bringing you a special episode with Sarush live from Australia, or I guess not live, pre-recorded from Australia. Uh, Sarush, why are you in Australia? So uh, there's a conference, and it's called Playgrounds, and they wanted me to speak, and they flew me down to Melbourne, and the conference is just wrapping up now, and so I thought I would call you and, and talk to you a little bit about it. Awesome. I'm really excited to hear about it. Uh, how was, uh, I, we'll start with initial impressions. I've, I've never been to Melbourne or really anywhere in Australia. How are you, how are you liking it so far? So I also have never been to Australia. This is my first time in the Southern Hemisphere in Australia and definitely Melbourne. And it is awesome. Australia is a beautiful country. I went on a road trip of the Great Ocean Road. Uh, the food is great. Uh, Melbourne is like a, it's actually, this is one of the running jokes of the conference is that it's the most livable city in the world. And you can just tell because the air is really nice to breathe. It's so easy to get around. The city bikes or whatever they call them, like don't have branding here. There's no like company that sponsors it. So it's just a Melbourne bike, which is really nice. There's beaches. Cool. And it's just, it's so nice. That sounds really nice. Yeah, man. Yeah. And it's not winter there. It has right now. It has that going forward too. That's right. It's effectively August for listeners in the, in the Northern hemisphere. Nice. Yeah. And the playgrounds, the conference has been awesome as well. Andy Hope put it together and everything's been going really smoothly. The speakers have all been super great. The conference center is awesome. It's like really central in Melbourne and there's lots of cool stuff to do around it. There is. One of the things that Melbourne has, and I don't know if this is just Melbourne or other Australian cities as well, but in the parks, there are barbecues. And, you know, American barbecues, it's usually like cast iron and you have to kind of bring your own charcoal and light it. These are powered. So you just sort of push a button and you get 30 minutes of heat. And Whoa. so I bought some, yeah, not awesome. And so I bought some, uh, I bought some ground kangaroo and some buns uh, from the Victoria, the Queen Victoria market and a little cheese. And I made kangaroo burgers uh, outside, just like in a park. It was so cool. Huh. I didn't know that people ate kangaroo. Uh, yeah, you can eat kangaroo. You can get it in loin form and in minced form, which is how they say ground down here. Hmm. And uh, the <laughs> kangaroo burger was super good. And thank you to all the fine Australians who hosted me these, these past uh, few days. It's been awesome. So you mentioned that the conference has been going really well, and uh, I was really curious uh, about your talk. How did your talk go? Uh, what did you talk about? Yeah, so uh, my talk was basically, it was titled Everything That You've Ever Wanted to Know About Sequence and Collection. So for the past few months, I have been kind of studying sequence and collection and learning everything I can about the weird APIs and about the complexity guarantees that different um, levels of, of, you know, whether you have random access collection or uh, regular collection and what all those guarantees are and, and what the functions are and how they work. And so I basically distilled that down to 25 minutes. I didn't get a chance to cover every single protocol that was involved in it because it's a pretty uh, complicated piece of the standard library, but I did manage to cover basically everything in the ladder from sequence collection, bidirectional collection, and random access collection. Cool. The ones that I missed were range replaceable collection and mutable collection. That seems like it uh, It would have been a really interesting talk. I mean, that's something that, like you said, is, a fair, is an area with some complexity in the standard library that's not, uh, when you're approaching it, that's not necessarily immediately clear. Right. Yeah, and it's not clear how they all relate and what the uh, associated types mean and all that stuff. So it's 
it's nice to have like a high level overview of it. The talk, 25 minutes was barely enough time. So I was really blitzing through the material. And I think some of the attendees were like, oh my God, this is so much stuff. I think one person tweeted at me that like they needed to rewatch the talk later because it was so much stuff. Is there going to be a video of the talk up? Are you publishing slides somewhere? Uh, I can publish slides. Um, but yeah, Andy said that there were going to be videos. Um, a company called skill.io who does the Swift summit. So they have some experience with making videos. They are putting the videos up. So that should happen in the next week, several weeks to several months. Okay, cool. Well, uh, we will definitely include at least a link to the slides in the show notes for this episode then. What are some interesting or uh, maybe surprising parts of the sequence or collection APIs that that you want to share that I might not know? Yeah, so um, the two big gotchas with sequence that that kind of few people know about, um, one is that sequences can be infinite. So you can construct a sequence such that it never terminates. A simple one would just be like a sequence that adds one to the previous element. So you could just have, you know, all the, all the natural numbers or whatever. And that can be a sequence and you can consume as many of those as you want. Uh, if you try to map over that sequence, you're going to have a bad day, but you know, <laughs> it'll get stuck in an infinite loop. But, um, yeah, so that's like a weird thing is that while collection is always going to be finite, sequence, um, can be infinite. And, but, but a collection is also a sequence, right? Right. A collection, you provide a different set of things and it automatically gives you sequence conformance. Okay. It's sort of a ladder where each thing inherits from the previous. So sequence, um, collection inherits from sequence, bidirectional collection inherits from regular collection, and then random excess collection inherits from bidirectional collection. So I kind of illustrate it as a ladder on my slides so that you kind of, we worked our way up the ladder. That makes sense. And then uh, just for clarity here, bidirectional collection means that like given an index in a collection, you can increment or decrement it to, to walk around the collection, kind of like a linked list. Exactly. Yeah, like a doubly linked list. Right. And then uh, random access collection means that you can index just anywhere into the collection arbitrarily yep. uh, in, um, uh, in, in constant time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So basically from the names, you, you kind of, you kind of picked out exactly what's going on here. The names are, I think, pretty good. Yeah, I would say so. At least it seems, it, it seems clear to me hearing those names. And I mean, having read some, some about this API before, it seems clear what's going on. Yeah. Uh, we'll definitely put some, some useful reading in the show notes about, uh, what it means for something to be, uh, constant complexity, uh, which, which you referred to as uh, like O of one time, right? Uh, and linear complexity, which would be O of N. Yeah. Um, the other interesting gotcha with the sequence protocol is that the, you're only guaranteed to be able to, and to iterate a sequence one time. It happens pretty rarely, but there are some sequences where if you, let's say they have five elements in them and you iterate through all five, if you try to iterate that sequence again, you'll just get zero elements. And this ties in with the concept of, of generators, right? Yeah, exactly. So um, every sequence has a function that creates, they're called generators in Swift 2, but in Swift 3, they're now called iterators. So every sequence has a function that will create a new iterator. And then that iterator, that iterator is destructive and acts as sort of a cursor to each element in your sort of sequence. And so it knows where it is, it's stateful, but the sequence itself is usually not stateful and can usually create a new iterator on demand, but not always. And there are some really contrived things you can do with the standard library and you can make a sequence that once you iterate through it it's consumed and you can't iterate, iterate it again is that constraint reflected in the type system around sequences at all 
It is not, and it really frustrates me. Huh. So if you have a se- if you have just a sequence, there's no way to tell whether you can iterate it more than once. Exactly. Um, hmm. Usually, you can you can just upgrade it to a collection, and you know that a collection will be finite and infinitely iterable. Um, so usually, that's the way to kind of get around it. Okay. Huh. Unless it truly is an, an an infinite sequence, like the Fibonacci numbers or something. Right. Exactly. The other thing hmm. I wish was reflected in the type system is. Um, I want like finite sequences and infinite sequences to be different types so that if infinite sequences are their own thing and then finite sequence would be where you would add something like map or filter because those require the sequence to be finite. Okay. And then, and then collections would be finite sequences. And so they'd get map and filter like they do today. Exactly. Exactly. So you would have Hmm. infinite sequences, which would kind of be another level of the ladder lower and they just wouldn't get some functions like you might be able to do. You would be able to do like lazy. You'd be able to do uh, prefix where you get the first n elements of the thing, but um, without it being a finite sequence, you can't do, for example, suffix um, where it would get the last n elements, or you won't be able to map and stuff like that. Yeah, that could make sense. And I think that would be really nice. Yeah, I think that'd be a nice little guarantee to add to the standard library. I wonder if they're like, would that fit in well with the current? um with, with the current design that's in the standard library like i know that a lot of consideration has gone into the design of these protocols and how they all interact uh and you are in a better place than i am to know whether uh, this uh whether what you're proposing here actually fits in nicely into what the standard library has today yeah i mean i think it's possible it's just that it makes some things a little bit more, um, you know, every time you add a stricter type to the system, you have to kind of deal with that in certain places and it can be frustrating to deal with. So if you develop a sequence that looks like it could be infinite, but you know that it terminates. So for example, one sequence can be, you know, you start with your current view and then call self.superview each time. And then until you get to the end of the sequence, which is the root, like root view, which has no superview, you you know, that's going to terminate at some point, Mm -hmm. but you would have to do some dancing and like do like prefix a thousand just to ensure that like, Hey, type system, I really know that this is not going to have more than a thousand elements. I know that it's going to be finite, et cetera. Um, so I think it's some of that stuff that they like, don't want to impose on consumers of the standard library, but infinite sequences are so rare, you know, that. Yeah, at least in the sort of programming that we typically do day to day, it like and it would just give you a little bit more control and a little bit more flexibility over the stuff, and it would just be fun. I, I like representing like complex things in the type system and, and making things that will crash be impossible, such or such as like trying to map over an infinite sequence. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that sounds pretty cool and useful. I'll definitely look over your your slides, and I will look forward to video being posted. Uh, but you weren't the only person who talked to this conference. What were some of the other talks that you went to and uh, that you found interesting? Yeah, the other speakers, I mean, it's a really, really great lineup. There were So the way that the conference works is basically you give your talk and then you go to a special side room. And in that room, you have this sort of like the speaker access room. And so for 30 minutes after, you get to hang out there and any of the guests, any of the attendees that want to come and ask you questions, they can bring their laptops. We can talk about code and, and you can really like, like really work with stuff rather than just sort of like having a microphone where you, where you just sort of ask questions and the whole audience has to be there. But the downside cool. to that is that the speaker misses the talk that's immediately after them. And so the talk that I missed was Matt Comey's talk 
from he's the Bitbucket software guy oh, okay. uh, who makes all those like pixel games. So Stagehand, I think, is the one they just made. And so his talk seemed really cool. I only caught little pieces of it um, from there's like a video feed in the speaker access room, and it looked really cool. It was about like pathfinding in games. It was about ray tracing and like how to basically how to model these algorithms for your different games. And um, it, it looked really, really cool. So I'm looking forward to catching up on that one in the when the videos come out. Yeah, yeah, that sounds awesome. So I did miss that one, but I did catch quite a few others. So one of the first ones was Matt Gallagher, who uh, writes a blog called Coco with Love. And I, it was really cool. I've never met him, and I finally got a chance to thank him on um, for he wrote a, an audio streamer class from I don't know five years ago. And I wrote a podcast player completely built on top of that. And I would not have been able to do it without his sample code. And I talked to him about it and I really thanked him. And he was like, oh man, that code, I hate that code so much today. But like, <laughs> he's really happy that so many people have gotten so much use out of it. So setting aside thanking him for the example code, uh, what, what was his uh, talk actually about? So his talk was basically about performance tuning Swift. And he basically wrote, he had this like algorithm, I think it was like a Mersenne prime generator and he wrote it in C and then compared it to like, you know, an implementation in other languages like Python and Go and then wrote a Swift implementation and a naive Swift implementation, like basically copying line for line was about 50 to 60% slower than C. Uh, and then, but when he like kind of removed some of the safety guarantees of Swift, he was actually able to get the Swift to execute faster than the than the C, which is pretty pretty uh, impressive to me. That's really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So instead of an array, he used an unsafe buffer mutable pointer or whatever, and that is just like unchecked memory. And so you were you're able to scream through that. And then he also did uh, additions without checking overflow, and that also helped a lot in like tuning the Swift and making it more performant at the cost of some safety. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so it cool. ended up like ten you percent know, faster than the C, which was pretty dope. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that was a really cool one. Tamar, a friend of the show, Tamar, uh, who works at Tumblr, gave a talk about how to use engineering concepts to talk to your designers, uh, which was a really fun one. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, it was basically like she has a designer that she works with and, and the designer had overheard someone talking about unit testing and was like, oh, what's unit testing? And they ended up basically finding some common ground uh, over this this concept that seems very engineering focused, but the designer was actually able to like relate it back to their own work and like basically grow in their own way, and the design and the developer kind of grew it together and were able to do better work because they had like communicated about their own sort of domains. Cool. So another cool talk. Um, friend of the show, Jason Brennan, closed out yesterday's sessions. Um, he basically spoke about uh, one of his passions is educating kids and giving them tools to understand systems. Um, and so the best thing we have for that today is programming, but he thinks that uh, programming within basically text is a very um, – is a tough thing to grasp for kids. And so he wants to build um, tools for – and he was kind of laying out this problem of like how we should build tools that are more dynamic media that like – kids and adults can work with to like understand complex systems. And so we talked a lot about human behavior and the human brain and education and like what code is. And he talked about basically Swift playgrounds, which we have today, which are being used on the iPad, like teach kids. And then also playgrounds, which was an app that, uh, 
Apple made in the 80s, I think probably before they called them apps, um, which would let like kids write kind of pseudo code to like add behaviors to like fish and animals and stuff. I don't know the depth of it, uh, but that was the example that he showed. And, and it was at a conference called Playground, so it was very meta. Whoa. Wait, so Apple had made this thing in the 80s and it was called Playgrounds? Yeah, well, so it's called Playground with no S. But yes, oh, okay. I may have missed Whoa, earlier. So the Swift Playgrounds really came around at like the name is coming full circle, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. It's a total huh. redux. Yeah. Cool. Oh, well, as Sam Giddens talked about strings, which you would have really cared about. He talked about how strings shouldn't be the universal type. They shouldn't. I, I've given a talk about that. Yeah, you sure have. You gotta, you gotta give that more. Is that online? Uh, it is online. Yeah, I think, I think there's video and audio and slides of it online. Nice. We should try to put it in the show notes. So there were two more really good talks that I want to touch on. Uh, one was Chris Idoff did a talk. It's called uh, "How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love Mutation." Um, a nice little Doctor Strange love reference. And um, he basically talked about how like structs are. They're pretty good and they can be immutable, but sometimes like that mutating keyword is pretty good and it doesn't really mutate the thing. It only kind of acts as syntactic sugar around the mutating thing. And so he talked about how like it's actually okay to have mutating functions and have mutating code. It's just choosing the right sort of paradigms for your app. So if you need a reference type that that mutates, then great. If you want a struct that has mutating functions on it, if that's the right thing for the code that you're working on, then that's the right thing for the code that you're working on. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, as much as we really push uh, sort of the like immutable functional sort of style of programming, especially with value types and with Swift structures, there's there's absolutely a place in some applications and some algorithms and things like that for mutation, right? It exists for a reason. It's, it's yeah. maybe wi- widely overused in some places, but it does exist for a reason. Right. And you can kind of look at the standard library. There's tons of mutating functions on structs in the standard library. Like it's just useful. Oh yeah. And it's like built and designed to be used like that. And he live coded the whole talk and it was so impressive because he like barely mistyped any keystrokes. Like when I live code, I'm just like messing words up all the time. And he like just every keystroke he hit was like the exact right one and he didn't have to backspace. I was so impressed. That's really impressive. Yeah. I never live code for, cause yeah, it's just embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so tough. Um, and it's tough to like talk while you're doing it and and not be boring because like when you're typing, you're not saying anything, and the audience is just watching you type. And he managed to like basically have jokes and and work his way through all of this stuff and like not lose the the interest of the audience. It was really cool. Nice. Yeah. And then the last talk that I wanted to talk about was um, a fellow named Harlan Haskins who goes to Rochester Institute of Technology. And he's a student, and he worked on the Swift compiler team as an intern last year. And he is crazy about LLVM. So he basically showed us how to build a parser, a lexer, and a compiler for a language called Kaleidoscope, which is a very simple language where the only data you can have is, is floating point numbers and functions. And you can kind of build up quite a quite a complex bit of stuff with that. And so he basically like passed his program through Elixir and showed us how Elixir worked, passed the Lext data tokens into a parser to create a syntax tree. And then, and he like showed a ton of code and it all made sense. And once that AST came out, then he would, it would go to this thing that would emit LLVM intermediate representation, which at that point you can just build 
um, into any architecture so it can run on any computer, uh, which is the whole promise of, of LLVM. And it's, it was his first talk and he was just such a great, like, he just had that natural, like, teaching ability where he talked slowly and you understood and he was very clear. And I asked him, like, so Harlan, like, how did you, like, why are you so good at this? This is your first talk. And he was like, I'm actually an actor. Like, he acts in various classical and, and more modern things. And that's how he knows how to, like, project his voice, how he knows to, like, stand up straight, and, like, how he knows to be clear and don't say um and uh and stuff like that. And it was just <laughs> honestly so impressive. That's really cool. Wow. Um, and, and there I am saying um because I am not an actor. <laughs> yeah. but This podcast is, uh, you know, very ad hoc. It is pretty ad hoc, yeah. Uh, the whole field of sort of compiler computer science lectures and parsers and things like that are things that I would love to understand better and to know more about, but that I've never really gotten around to teaching myself or to, to learning. And so it's just kind of a black box to me. And uh, this sounds like it would be a really, really interesting talk for me. Yeah, I would definitely recommend this one for you because it's all Swift, so you can understand it. Like I've seen Lisp interpreters written in JavaScript, which like I don't care about Lisp, and I don't really like JavaScript, so like that's tough. <laughs> but this is a very simple language. Um, it has almost Ruby-esque syntax, and um, all the code is written in Swift, so it's super easy for us to understand. Um, and he showed me after the fact. He showed me he has a like a, another language that he designed it. He wrote himself called Trill. And it's got its own compiler and everything. And it's basically Swift Lite. Like, I looked at the syntax, and it's, like, very simple uh, Swift. It's, like, Swift without, with like, some of the features taken out. Yeah, so I thought that was really cool. And I and we were talking a little bit about, like, parsing the individual tokens. And he said he was adding generic support, but that it was really complicated because when you add, like, the angle bracket for generics, like, you don't know if that's going to be a less than token or if that's going to be the start of a generics token. So you have to kind of see what other tokens you have and then backtrack and update that one to be the right thing. Like, it might be a generic token, it might be less than. So that yeah. one I thought was really cool, too. And I think a lot of his code is open source on GitHub, so if any of our listeners want to go check it out, oh, cool. they can see how that stuff works. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. I would imagine that working as an intern on the Swift team, or working on the Swift team in general, but that would be a really unique internship experience. That's pretty cool. For sure. It sounded like it was really awesome. It sounded like he learned a ton, too. Man. Yeah. It's been a great conference, man. The there's like been this through line of I love how when the, the talks like kind of interleave with each other. Like um I talked about linked lists in my talk and Chris Eidhoff brought them up in his talk for like an example of he wrote a pop function on a linked list and he made it mutating and he was like, This is okay, and here's why. And then like there were other talks that related to 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 other things. So like Ash Furrow talked about um asynchronous programming and all the various styles, and then Greg uh Hio went into detail specifically on signals and rx and so it was like there was like a lot of nice dovetailing and i really do appreciate when that happens at a conference yeah that's that's really great yeah it's been it's been great and melbourne is just the best chris you got to come to melbourne <laughs> maybe if this conference is happening again next year i will remember to uh to plan a trip out there there you go andy do you hear that you got to plan this for next year so chris can come <laughs> all right cool well i think that's about it for the conference yeah, I don't think I have any other questions or, or anything to add. I'm glad to hear that your talk, uh, I guess, went well and that it was an interesting conference and that Melbourne is a nice place to spend some time. How much longer are you going to be in Melbourne? 
So I leave Melbourne tomorrow. I'm going to a little wildlife tour where we're going to get to feed some koalas and I think pet some kangaroos, Whoa. which is the most Australian thing I will have ever done. <laughs> and then uh, I fly up to a town called Cairns where it's like the gateway to the uh, Great Barrier Reef. So I'm going to go do a little scuba diving. And I'm, I'm there until mid next week. And then uh, I'm going to Japan after that. And I'm going to try Swift Japan. So I would love to, to call you again after try Swift Japan and have a little conversation about that conference too. That sounds great. You, uh, you know how to get in touch with me. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Same, same bat time, same bat channel. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, I know this is a little bit different from our usual, our, our usual format, but, uh, Sarush is out traveling and I want to hear about how it's going. And, uh, I think that. We have collected a number of interesting and useful links in the show notes for this episode, and we'll talk to you uh, next week. Yep. As always, Chris, it was a pleasure. Yeah. Have a good evening. You too. Or wait. Yeah, it's like five here. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's one a.m. in New York or in it's one Ann Arbor, and yeah. it's five here. So I feel great. I'm a little jet lagged, but I feel great. Bye, Sirish.